Welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a consultant living in Ukraine and London, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian and freelance indexer, writing about complex women's friendships for both young adult and adult audiences. Today, we're sharing a conversation with a couple of writers who are definite goals, as writers, of course, but especially as friends. Zan Romanoff and Miranda Popke met in college, and we talked to them about how their friendship has evolved, its role in their writing, and about writing women's friendships in fiction. They also talk process, craft, and day jobs in writing, basically everything. Zan Romanoff writes essays, journalism, and fiction, with a particular focus on and interest in areas of culture that don't always get the respect they deserve, stuff like fandom, food, and the Kardashian clan. She also writes YA, including the forthcoming novel Look, out on March 31st, so make sure to pre-order. And she lives in LA. Miranda is a writer, editor, social worker, and translator from Italian. She's lived in California, Connecticut, Texas, New York, Missouri, and Italy. Right now, she lives in Massachusetts with her husband and her dog, and her first novel, Topics of Conversation, was published by Knopf on January 7th, 2020. You can find them at zanromanoff.com, that's Z-A-N-R-O-M-A-N-O-F-F, and mirandapopke.com, that's Miranda, P-O-P-K-E-Y. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy talking to them. Yes, we're really excited to talk to you. You've been on our list for like a long time, and we just kind of got up the guts to actually contact you. So thank you very much. (laughs) I mean, we're obviously happy to do it, especially. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think now we're going to be like, who else is on the list? Like, yeah. So thanks for coming on to our podcast. (laughs) And we were really, we're fans of your work, uh, but also. We were very drawn to you as guests because your origin story is not totally dissimilar from ours. Um, And so this is, you kind of cover it in some interviews and we'll link to those, but we would love it if you kind of talk through, like, I'm sure you've done this a million times, uh, your, how you guys met, how you became friends and stuff like that. I'm going to hand over to Miranda. She's my favorite story. Go ahead. Have fun. No, no, no. You tell it. You tell it. (laughs) This is exciting. I never get to tell it. Um, So uh, freshman year of college, like before classes had even started, you know, we're like moving in, staying in the dorms, like trying to meet people and make a new life for yourself. And I was in line in the dining hall trying to make some tea. Um, And I was just a very anxious child who was having a hard time that day and (laughs) could not get the hot water dispenser to work. It was not a complicated hot water dispenser. Um, There was nothing in it that should have, I should not have been able to work and yet I could not. Um, And the very kind uh, girl in line behind me was like, I can help you with this hot water dispenser. And she did. And then I was like, wow, that was amazing. You want to come set up my printer later? (laughs) Yeah, all right. The relationship escalated from there. (laughs) I want to say like in Zan's defense, the situation was, there was a hot water container and there were two spigots and she was just looking at one and like messing with it and no hot water was coming out. And I was like, I have to help this girl because I don't know how long it's going to take her to see that there is a second thing that she could be like messing with. Yes, hapless since day one. Um, but yeah, it turned out that we were actually like on the same floor of the same dorm we were in the same like weird academic program for 18 year old nerds. Um, 
And we went to a whole university like that, so. Yeah. <laughs> Ours was the, you know, the, it was not the whole university, so they had to have a little pool where we could meet each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, slowly I drew her into my web of incompetence and terrible reality shows and pop music. Um, oh, Miranda, remind me to text you later. I had an incredible dream about Louis Tomlinson last night. <laughs> <laughs> the number of One Direction. That could really work. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so a lot of your discussions have sort of, uh, this is a kind of general thing, but have focused on like your friendship. But how do you guys, as you've become writers, I mean, I think it's really amazing, but how do you, how has that changed your friendship? But also how has it changed maybe the, the art or the writing that you actually do? Um, I think, so Sam started writing fiction before I did. Um, I mean, I think we both sort of wrote in, like, we wrote creatively in college. Did you actually write fiction in college? I had one summer where I read a, a collection of Leonard Michael short stories and then wrote a series of short stories that were just like, person becomes injured while, during, or like during, after, or immediately before having sex. They were very bad. Um, were you actually <laughs> writing fiction in, in undergrad C? Yeah, uh, I was gonna say, I started publishing fiction before you did. I think we were both kind of like, sort of dipping our little toes in and then pulling them out. Like, yeah, I, I like wrote, you know, lightly fictionalized, like scenes from short stories that were basically things that had happened in my life. And then was like, I don't understand what happens next and quit. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, and then when I, I moved, I'd been living on the East Coast and I moved back to LA in the very end of 2012, and that was when I started writing fiction seriously. Um, and Miranda was working in publishing at the time, so, like, she was obviously, when I finished, when I had a draft I felt that someone could look at, um, I was like, okay, well, Miranda's gonna read it, um, because I was like, A, she has a professional opinion on this, but B, I pretty much trust her to tell me if it sucks. Um, which is very important, you know, and, and I guess that was like, I knew she would tell me if it sucked and I knew that she was going to be able to hopefully tell me how it sucked and how to make it better. Um, luckily it did. Well, it did kind of suck. <laughs> it did not suck. It did not suck. I loved it. Um, this was actually like a, a fun part of the first part of Zan's career for me is that I was still in publishing, um, and I wasn't really thinking about writing fiction at that point. And I got to read her work in a way that was helpful, I think. And I got to be like, like, I remember um, it like, Dan, tell me if you like, don't want me to go into the story, like the story of how you got your agent. Just that it took, yeah, um, it like took a while. It takes, sometimes it takes a while. Um, but there were like various rounds of like sending, of Zan sending her, material around and I like I remember feeling feeling confident that she would get an agent and also being or trying to like present myself as an authority and being like this is actually sort of how it happens like sometimes you have to query 50 people before someone is like let's hop on the phone and talk about your work. So I felt lucky that I was able to provide her with some pers perspective, hopefully that was, that was also not just like a friend cheerleading, but that was like based on some actual professional experience. Because I think it's really hard if you don't have any publishing experience, you can, you can be enthusiastic, 
when a friend is trying to get work published, but you don't maybe, I don't know, you don't maybe know if that enthusiasm is like actually connected to the world that they're trying to enter. And there's just, it's just like publishing is such a crazy world. I mean, I think that's like, we're very supportive of each other's writing, but I think we're both pretty much people who like go off and write in our little corners. Like we're not, we don't super share drafts or anything like that. Um, I mean, we do sometimes, but like, it's not a regular practice. And I think more so it's been nice, A, to be able to talk about writing abstractly, right? To be like, oh, I'm like working on this scene and the revision sucks. Like, yeah, man, I've been there. But that we've also been able to really support each other through publishing, um, which is like just crazy. And I think people who haven't gone through it don't totally understand what a mind fuck it is. Like, I remember when Miranda sold her book, um, I was like obviously incredibly thrilled for her, but also partially I was like, I'm thrilled for me because like now you're gonna understand what a psycho I am half the year <laughs> in like an intimate visceral way that like you had been, you know, as close as you possibly could to. And then it was like, okay, like you're now we're really in this like weird boat together. I don't know why boat is the metaphor that we're going with. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I really thought that I was gonna be prepared for what a mind fuck getting a book published is. Um, because I'd helped so many authors through it as part of my job, but then also had like helped Zan through it as part of my job as being her, of being her friend. Um, and it turned out I just had no idea. And it was so, so, so good to be like, like Zan was always literally one, one text away when I needed some perspective or I remember like texting you Zan when I was like, I got some good news and I was like, very angry about it or like yeah, not angry I was like I was yeah. very concerned about this good news that I had gotten um, <laughs> and like Zan was very nice about it but she said something really helpful which is like you're going to have to figure out how to be happy about this because if you can't be happy about the good stuff that happens like you're just going to be completely destroyed by the bad stuff um I think actually I had texted you right after I got an email from my agent about the book being sold, like being a book of the month pick, which yeah. actually it turned out I was right, was a disaster. <laughs> oh my God, Popkey. All right, we're not going into that. We're not going there. <laughs> um, was that an answer to that question? I feel like we went in a direction. Totally <laughs> was an answer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So did you did you tell her like you tell each other you were writing creatively or were you just kind of like writing and not and just like being friends and those were two separate things and then once you had a draft or once you had like because you Miranda you had done freelance writing too right and had done some stuff when did when did sort of this confession because obviously it wasn't at the water spigot um <laughs> I mean maybe it was like oh thanks for helping me with my tea by the way I want to be a writer like that's you know, how did that come about? How did that come about? Because we actually were friends for almost like, gosh, like a decade and a half before either one of us was like, oh yeah. So. Secretly, wait, really? Really? That's crazy. It's, yeah. Well, so because we, we yeah. wrote um, on, we were on the like student newspaper together and we're wanting to do that, but this was in 2001 and we know what that landscape looked like. Uh, the meet what happened with print media so both of us ended up going different directions and then um 
I didn't even start trying to write fiction until I was 30. So, um, Same. you know, it kind of made sense. Like, yeah, we did other stuff. That's a little bit the case for me. I didn't write any fiction. There was like the summer I was like 19 or 20 and I wrote a bunch of terrible short stories and was like, Ugh! <laughs> but then until I started putting together an MFA like portfolio and was like, okay, if I'm going to try, if I'm going to give myself permission to write fiction, I actually have to give myself permission to write fiction before I'm going to be allowed to write fiction while getting paid for two years because they don't let you in just on the strength of like your winning personality. Um, yeah. Damn. Until that, which was in 2014, um, was when I started like actually writing fiction in a serious way. Um, I think Dan understood that I wanted to be writing more, but not necessarily fiction. Whereas I had always thought of Dan as the, as like of the two of us, the one who was going to be like a successful writer. So wild. We've talked about this before, but I never get over it. That both of us were like, well, she is the like successful and ambitious one. And I'm just kind of like muddling along. <laughs> um, <laughs> because so, okay. So when Miranda and I met, um, it was a very early freshman year and it was like when there are a lot of like activities fairs, you know, like what are you going to do in college? And so one of the things we did together very early was we went to a meeting for one of the school papers. Um, and I like, I don't know what the hell I did there, but Miranda met the editor <laughs> um, and like started writing movie reviews for them and then became their um, arts and culture editor and then became the managing editor of the paper when we were juniors. Um, and so, and then and I did, I ended up writing for like a small music magazine in college. So we had both always known that we wanted to write. Um, it was fiction that uh, I think came later. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, and also like when I started writing my book, um, I just moved back to California and I had left my job and I had nothing to do. Um, and so I had to talk about it because uh, that was the only way to explain what I did all day. Like, I'd go to parties or like I talked to Brian on the phone she'd be like what did you do and I had to be like I <laughs> drafted my book I swear to god I, <laughs> my questions were not that accusatory <laughs> no no no, no, no. <laughs> um, no everything felt accusatory because I was miserable but you were being very nice <laughs> but yeah I feel like so we, yeah we'd always known each other as writers and then it just kind of evolved also out, you know um, out of my unemployment out of Miranda's unhappiness uh, at her job. <laughs> um, I actually, maybe, maybe, no, there's absolutely no way my old boss is gonna listen to this. Um, but <laughs> I literally last night had like uh, an anxiety dream about my boss. Um, someone I have not worked for since 2014. Seriously? Yeah. Just like a really bad boss? Um, it was, we were a really bad, we were a really bad personality match. I think he was a really bad boss, but. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. funny. <clears throat> but it's not funny when you're living it, right? I mean, that was one of the things we wanted to talk about as well as a sort of theme as jobs, but maybe we can uh, come back to it. Because I actually have another question on this, like, friendship theme. I was wondering if you guys have other groups of friends that you, I mean, you talked about how you don't necessarily share 
that much of your writing, um, but with each other, or like, do you have other friends that you share your writing with more? And I just think like all those different levels of writing friendships are interesting to you. Um, so I, I was until so recently in an MFA program. And so I had like this built in friends. Um, I mean, not that I was, I wasn't especially close to every single one of them, but a group of people that I knew pretty well, um, that I had to share fiction with really frequently. Um, so sorry, my internet just cut all the way out for like a minute there. But you're back. Oh, okay. You're I back. I neither that question nor that answer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, it's your turn and you have to go now. We're not going to repeat it. <laughs> uh, it. Miranda wrote the whole book for me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> about, like, groups of people that we share writing with, um, like outside, maybe outside even the two of us. And mm-hmm. I was saying I had like an MFA workshop for two years. So that was just like, that was a really easy default. I've actually been trying to figure out what what to do about the fact that I no longer have anyone to share fiction with or I'm no longer required to share fiction with anyone and I find I find sharing my writing so 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 painful um that being forced to was maybe the only thing that was going to get me to do it in the first place so I'm 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 really in the in the place of trying to figure that out right now okay um, yeah, unlike Miranda, I don't find it that excruciating. Um, I just, I'm just like a little bit more of a performer, I think. Um, and, uh, I'm also very lucky. My mom is a writer, um, and a really good reader. And so she's one of my first readers always. Um, I'm trying to think my friend Amanda has read a bunch of drafts for me. I, yeah, I have, I have also have a lot of friends. I've, um, as I've been writing YA novels, I've picked up other YA writer friends in LA. Um, so they're always available to read drafts, which is super nice, especially because they sort of get the specific context of YA. Um, and then really, I mean, I've come to rely, I have to say on my editor, my agent, um, pretty significantly. Uh, I mean, I've had different editors, actually the different agents. <laughs> Just the whole, whole rotating crew of friends. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel like I'm in a good place where I have a good number of people who, you know, I can just have kind of look at drafts um, and give me different kinds of feedback. And I've and I've had a sense at this point of sort of like, you know, who's good at what. Um, you know, if I need to yeah. read one, like someone specifically YA, can you tell me if this element is going to be too much? Or if I'm like agent, tell me if this is salable. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is I've been blogging since I was like. 12 years old like I'm just like hello I have a thought (laughs) (laughs) ready to put it on the internet or whatever yeah Yeah. worse I think yeah because one of the things that's come up as we've had these conversations over the last (laughs) several months is um there's like different levels of writing friends um you know there are the people that you share your life with and then you also share writing with and there are people who you just share writing with and then there are your friends who like ask you all the time, is your book published yet? When's your book coming out? And you're like, shut up. I haven't finished the first draft. I don't have a fucking agent yet. Like you don't even know. What are you talking about? How's your chill? How's your kid? Like, you know, like, um, let me tell so- you when you do publish the book, they start asking you, so how's your book selling? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they don't read it. Right. They're just like, oh yeah, I just didn't have time. 
Um, Which honestly, it's fine. That actually, people are like, I didn't read the book. I'm like, that's really fine. I don't really care. Did you buy it? Amazing. Yeah. 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 Again, it's so, so nice to have a friend who is a friend friend, a writing friend, a publishing friend, like, you know, kind of gets all of the layers of all of that. Um, Because it is even when people are very well-intentioned, you know, it just, it's just like, it's, it's a professional world and not everyone is like deeply immersed in it. Um, yeah. 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 Well, and I think that, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that people who aren't in the sort of writing scene, they're not like, they're not trying to troll you, right? It's just, they only know <laughs> these like external markers. It's like, okay, you write it, then you sell it. And then, and like people, I'm writing a book right now and people are like, oh, but haven't you finished that book? I'm like, no, I'm hoping to be finished by the end of May. And then they're like, you've been writing it for a while. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> I'm like, it takes fucking time. Oh my God, it takes so much fucking time. Yeah. I always um, think of Hanya Yanagihara, who wrote A Little Life. Her first book took her 13 years. Yeah. Right? It seems like, reasonable to me, to be honest. Like, what are we rushing for? You know? Yeah. Minjin Lee, too, took forever to write. <clears throat> Um, free food for millionaires and pachinko so I think also for, for me at least I think this is less true of Zan who has a writing practice that really works for her and I I mean <laughs> I, I don't know how that's going to sound on the podcast but maybe it's a little gif of my face <laughs> um, maybe that's like what I do with like self quarantine 2020 is trying to figure out how to have a regular writing practice um, because I'm really bad at it. And um, my first book I did write, like if you look at when I started drafting it to when I turned something into my agent or even if turned something into my editor, it, it was like maybe seven months, which is a really, really, really short period of time. Um, but so, so much of, the, of that process for me though was like, being alive for 31 years and like Mm -hmm. gathering grievances and (laughs) and being like variously damaged by popular (laughs) and men Um, and then bringing all of that to bear on a piece of writing that because there was like so much blocked inside of me just did come gushing out like sorry like a blackhead I love Dr. (laughs) Popper um, I love those videos. They're so satisfying. Um, anyway, it, it was like a little, a little tiny bit like that. Um, but so much for me then is, and now I'm trying to work on some different stuff, is just not, it's not actually writing. It's thinking about writing and trying to get myself to write and watching other things while I'm supposed to be writing and telling myself something that is hopefully true, which is this is all somehow also writing and it's all going to help in the end. But then when someone asks you that question, like, what are you working on? What do you have? I'm like, ah, I watched an entire season of Gilmore Girls over the past two days. <laughs> and that's been really important for my language. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that is your problem. Like, maybe that rushing out. Like, I nothing has ever rushed out of me like a blackhead. So I <laughs> cannot write like that. Like, I need to write in something that, I don't have, but basically like good chunks of time that are uh, like, I they're long enough to get immersed in, but also I have to like break the spell and do something else, right? 
but you have to know yourself as well. It's also an easy way to procrastinate. So I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think any, you know, I think we're all figuring it out. This is like, I teach writing classes, um, just still hilarious to me because what in the name of God do I know? Um, but kind of how I deal with that feeling. And also I just, I don't know, is that I, one of the things, the biggest thing I tell my students is like, you have to figure this out for yourself. Like I cannot teach you how to write. No one can, I mean, I can give you advice. I can give you tips. I can give you a lot of strategies, but it is just a matter of like putting your butt in a chair and trying a bunch of different stuff. Um, and like whatever works for you. And that's great. You know, Um, that include Gilmore girls. I do have a hard time getting my butt in the chair. Um, and for me, it's a question. It, it is a question sometimes of blocking out. The, the problem is now I do have also a day job, which again is, cha- is changed a bit with self-quarantine 2020. Um, but when I was in my MFA, I could like bake for eight hours and then be like, okay, I've literally thought about this sentence for so long that I can go to the computer and write it down and then like, there will be other sentences after it. Um, but I don't have 12 hours to like, just faff about anymore. Um, and so I like, I need to figure out a way to get my, my butt in the chair that is not like 12 hours of pretending that I'm doing something else. Yeah. yeah. That is the adult dilemma. And the dilemma if you have like a job or basically other stuff to do, right? I mean, I think that's the, di- the difficulty. Um, Although, see, I don't I have any answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one has the answers. Day number one. Um, I will say that. So I wrote my first book when I was unemployed um, and living at my parents' house. Thank you, mom and dad, uh, for your generous <laughs> grant to my creative uh, <laughs> retreat. Um, but then, so then I, so then I had written the book and I was trying to get an agent. I like got a job and I was trying to get an agent. And and so by the time I got the job, like I was sort of like, okay, I've written a draft of a book. Um, I understand that I can do this. I want to keep doing it. And, and I was lucky that I had a job that, um, was in my neighborhood and started work at 10 AM. So I would go to the coffee shop near my, like ne- across the street from work and write from like eight fifteen to like nine fifty seven. um, and run across the street, <laughs> you know? Um, and so for me, I think at that time it was very helpful to be like, okay, you have this contained amount of time. Like there wasn't 12 hours to talk about it was like you have an hour and a half. You want to get writing done today, but in chair, like, you know, if it's five bad sentences, whatever, it's better than no sentences. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 it's I just have to tell people to stop doing what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think, I mean, for me, that structure is really helpful. Yeah. Um, but I also really relish the weekends when I don't have that as well. So do you write on weekends? Yeah. I try to write one day and then leave one day, like not working with my day job and not working on my book because you also need to recharge. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I'm when people are like, if you have to write seven days a week to be a writer, I'm like, take me. Whoops. Have fun. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Make, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes. I, I also think about um, the way that writing 
it means that you're choosing to prioritize yourself and your art above other things, like the thing that reliably brings in money or um, the thing that you could be doing for someone else. And I think that that is something I also think about and struggle with. Um, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's like more or less than other people because I don't wish I could see into other people's brains. It would make my writing much easier. Uh, <laughs> you'd be so horrified by what you'd find. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good scene, yeah. frankly. <laughs> um, I mean, but, but it would be such good material. Anyway, um, but I, I like, I think that that is something that I think about and that I'm like thinking about more now, I guess, because I have more time, but also because like <laughs> global pandemic, um, that like there is a val like you have to figure out for yourself, like, why is this thing that I am doing that is right now just for me? Like, why is that valuable? Um, and I don't know. I think that's like a good question for, for like me to ask myself at least. Yeah. And this is a conversation I feel like you and I have been having a lot around publishing is like that you, you think, and you want, I mean, I certainly wanted, you know, my book coming out to be like the ultimate validation and to be the thing that was like, okay, like now I've made it, you know, I'm like now it all makes sense. Um, but that in fact, uh, if you, if the work doesn't have value to you, the praise feels empty and feels really suspect, right? You're always like, well, they're just blowing smoke at my ass or like that person's bad taste or like everyone's bad taste. <laughs> like they don't know what's good. Like they're lying to me, whatever it is. Um, or when people say it's bad, you're like, yeah, it is bad. It is bad. And I'm bad. And the last years of my life are bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that especially as you are, um, and even if you're not publishing, you know, like a book or whatever, even if you're putting it on the internet or bringing it to critique group or whatever, like that you have to find a way to establish your own kind of like internal value system around what the work means to you because otherwise pe other people's opinions just like knock you off course. Um, and the more opinions you have, like the, harder it is to maintain any sense of like, is this okay? Am I okay to be doing this? I think that that was something, something that surprised me about the publishing process is how, I would say my husband was surprised that I wasn't completely destroyed by every part of the getting reviews process. I found that by the time I published the book and I, there was like enough I'd spent enough time with it that when I did get negative review, like I was joking about the book of the month club thing, but like a lot of people got my book through book of the month and like, that's wonderful from like an economic perspective. I'm so grateful for that. But a lot of these people were not interested in my book. Um, actually <laughs> they had like sort of accidentally gotten it because they thought that they were purchasing something else. Um, and they wrote a lot of, just almost comically mean reviews on Goodreads. Like really, truly, just very, very mean. Like to the point where there are there have been moments at like two in the morning when I'm like having a glass of wine and reading my Goodreads reviews where I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But like where I want to comment and be like, you know I'm on here, right? You know I can see this. Would you say this to my face? No, yeah. Um, the internet is a very cruel place. Yeah, <laughs> but like, I, I found that as, as much as like, yeah, I still do go on Goodreads and read those reviews, I'm not, 
it bums me out because I want people to read and like my book, but it doesn't make me think that my book is bad. <laughs> I'm like, I've spent yeah. enough of my book that I'm like, I know that my book is the best, like the novel I wrote was the best novel that I could write at that period of time. I don't think it's perfect. I can see what's wrong with it. But like, you guys on the internet, like you don't know what's wrong with it. Like it's not any of these things that you're pointing out. Um, <laughs> and that has been like a really pleasant surprise that I wasn't like, oh God, all of these things are wrong with my book that I didn't notice because like, you know, X person on Goodreads has pointed them out. It's only when someone says something that I feel independently to be true uh, of the book, like as a flaw that I'm like, oh man, like you got, you got me. Yeah. But I also think, I mean, there's something wrong with our model of like, whatever five star or whatever reviews on mass right it's like okay we can probably talk about that for a long time but uh you know like there are different values of books uh that are not just like oh forced like it's just so random in my opinion yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, it is also a matter right of finding readers and that's the thing it's like learning that there are certain readers who are like yeah you know what you're never <laughs> gonna like that book you know yeah. I think yeah I think some people kind of get the impression that Miranda's book is like a book about like ladies chatting. Um, well, so, and I do actually would love to both of you to talk about your books um, because so. I was going to say, actually, at some point we should talk about your yeah. books. Yeah. And this is a really good segue. Well, for a lot of reasons. So first of all, like I'm halfway through your book, Miranda, and I love it. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you're on here. One of the things that I think is really cool about your book is it's like there's this whole like explicit narrative and then there's this whole it's your book is basically like you know the optical illusion is it two faces is it a vase like which part what is the story and it's not just the narrator who's like the negative space but it's also so the conversations are all about men but they tend to be between women and the narrator and so i'm obsessed right now with women's friendships in fiction um as just a topic and um so this is like I, I this i'm just completely into your book um because of this because like one of the is it a vase is it two faces is how women are relating to each other um and since we are talking about friendship i just wondered if you could like that is the open-ended question so um. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i do i was thinking about this a while ago, how in, in my book, even though it is almost entirely women speaking to one another, I'm not totally sure it passes the Bechdel test. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that, um, <laughs> except that it does reflect, it does reflect how I felt sort of being socialized as a woman. It was it was how I felt my, my attention was being directed. Um, and I think that the things we pay attention to are so, like they go so much towards shaping who we end up being and what we value and what we believe to be important. Um, and I think my entire life, I was subtly being pointed in the direction of, 
men are important, things that happen with men are, um, are, are the things that you should be talking about. Your relationship with a man is going to be the most important relationship in your life. And, you know, even if you're like looking at pop culture, you're like, you're supposed to identify with the man because the, the woman is not the focus of the story, the man is. Um, and that's obviously like reductive. And I think culture has gotten a lot broader since I was, um, you know, a tween or a teen or a young adult. Um, and that's, I think that's really, really, really good. Um, but I marinated in popular culture at a moment when you had to look harder for different kinds of narratives. Um, and so I think it is like an appropriate reflection of what happens to even conversations between women um, when there is so much so much that is pushing us in the direction of what is your relationship with a man? What have your relationships with men been like? Um, and on the other hand, of course, like part of the novel is trying to talk about like things that until very recently weren't spoken about publicly. So it's like, it's that, and like that, that's a really good, um, that's like a really good metaphor. Cause it's, you know, you're constantly talking about men um, and your relationships with them. On the other hand, like you're not supposed to talk about the bad shit that happens. So yeah, that was an open-ended answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. But I think like, yeah. that's just, that's, I guess there's so many different stories happening on so many different levels in it. And there's like a couple of different explicit ones and a couple of different implicit ones. Um, so I think the book itself is a great metaphor in that, you know, you're figuring out who the narrator is by defining her by all these men when that's the whole point, you know, is that that's not what we do or we should do. So. But it, yeah, but it is, it is what, it is what we sort of do. I mean, this is, I don't, I don't know if this is going to sound weird, but I, Honestly, one of the relief, one of the like feelings of relief I felt after, um, after getting married and my husband has like many lovely qualities besides just that he is the person I'm married to. But I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to think about this anymore. <laughs> my time was being occupied by like trying to figure out if I was going to date, trying to figure out if I was attracted to someone, trying to figure out if someone was attracted to me. And this was just like, oh, great. Like, pfft like salt. I mean, obviously like getting married is not just like, again. So that's very much not true, but it also is like, I don't know. Then it feels like you're, you're working on something instead of like being pulled in a bunch of different directions where you, you sort of don't know if any of it's going to work out. Yeah. You get to have a joint project, you know, or something like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Because I've been talking about myself too long, I'm going to say that the, um, one of the things that I have, have like always have loved about each of Zan's books is that they are also like whatever their explicit subject matter. Also, like there's always a female friendship in there or a female female relationship in her books that is just very like very tenderly and carefully like depicted. And I don't know, but it's actually, but it's like, it's, it's something, I think it's easier 
to have other characters like in a novel that are not like the plot point, just be like, uh, so you know, she does have friends, like she's not moving through the world alone. <laughs> I, but I'm always appreciated that like, Sam pays attention to those relationships. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I was thinking when you were talking about like, your book is sort of about what happens when you grow up in this like stew of cultural influence, that hopefully part of the project of my books is like to um, provide a different like flavor to the stew of cultural influence. <laughs> you know, that a lot for me, it is just sort of like looking at these incredibly formative things that I, you know, consumed when I was younger and um, speaking back to them instead of in like an adult literary form in sort of the same form they came to me in, right? In these sort of like romantic young adult novels. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, when I sort of writing the first book, I remember like, um, thinking about who the characters were going to be and what was going to happen and just being like, man, you know, I'm going to write a romance because it's fun. <laughs> um, but when I look back on middle school and high school, like, I literally don't think I could tell you the names of most of the boys I had crushes on. Like, they just weren't that important. Um, but the girls I was friends with, like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, those are definitive relationships to this day. Um, yeah. Like, those are the romances of, in some ways, like, those are the romances. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember reading some kind of paper abstract, like some scientific paper. I don't know what. Megan, do you remember this? Maybe it was in our sociology class. We had this like doomed attempt to take sociology classes together. But um, <laughs> it was like something like, you know, basically young girls or adolescent girls have already like they build these such strong relationships that they've basically already been divorced like multiple times before they start dating. You know, and it's like these relationships are so deep. Do you know this, Megan? It's like they've been married and kind of divorced. Yeah. Like, it just makes yeah, so much it. sense because of the depth of that relationship is so, like, strong. And oh, it's like yeah. boys have do not have these ties. It was like something like the last sentence was something like, like, yeah, basically boys have nothing like that. Well, yeah. and... I mean, that, that would make a lot of sense as far as how, like, socially and culturally, like, boys, men and women um, relate to each other and to relationships. As, like, women have had all this training from, I do remember this, art. I don't know if I remember this article or I definitely remember having this conversation, um, that women have had all this training from, like, birth, basically, on how to be in relationships and boys have not and they don't until they get in a relationship with a woman and then they're like oh fuck what am I doing yeah. So. Yeah, like, well, but also that's like okay now you're the person that I have the relationship with and you're like I have all these other relationships like they still exist as well right yeah. I think I, I mean what it sounds like based on the sociology study that I've never seen but now trust 100 percent um is that like <laughs> In a heterosexual relationship, at least for like a man's first few relationships with women, like we're just his training wheels. We're yeah. just teaching him how to be in a relationship. And like you do the good work and you, you hope a sister like down the line benefits. <laughs> I'm going to leave there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I will say also like Miranda and I I think pretty explicitly like talk about our friendship at this point as like a partnership like um you know not it's not like I mean I don't know I don't want to say like it's not just friendship because friendship is like obviously so important um I don't know but like I, yeah I, I guess or I think that there's just like so much less distance than people imagine between like romantic and non-romantic relationships or there can be if you know how to like if you want that if you know how to look for it 
Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, we've been friends longer than we've even known either of our partners. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I've got a decade on Will, Miranda's husband. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this is actually, so like, um, I have a a book coming out eventually. I'm still drafting it, um, (laughs) but I'm working on it with my editor. And um, it is explicitly about like these two girls um, who've had this very, very close friendship and one of them gets a boyfriend um, and their worlds crumble. <laughs> They're just like, what is this? Yeah. Because they have so little, they don't have a, any language for their own relationship as a partnership or as something that's, you know, as important as it is. Um, and B, they've been sort of raised to believe that you have like a primary partner and that person should be, you know, your world. And it's like, okay, well now I have this boyfriend. So I did it. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I did my life mission. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that is how like most of us who at least remember a little bit of life before the internet. um, I mean, I think that is mostly how we like approach relationships or we're trained to approach relationships whether that is how we do it now um or not but with like the internet and this whole rise and this is the segue into you getting to talk about your book that's coming out um (laughs) if anyone's like it's published um on march 31st so go pre-order it folks um we'll put links in our show notes i wonder so i just finished reading megan angela's book followers which is fantastic if you have not read it it is just meets like all the hype but it's um basically a look at social media and this whole performative life online um and it's set both in 2015 and 2051 and so um like what is it like with literal pervasive internet that's in your brain and all of that kind of thing um but where was i going with this um yeah, so this idea that you could have now multiple, you know, the idea is to have the most number of friends in the whole world and mm-hmm. this multiple relationships. And I wonder, and this is not something that probably anyone can answer, but I just wonder what that is doing as far as the way people are approaching um, relationships and friendships. Because I feel like the kids these days, um, like my teenage babysitters and stuff, are way more open than I remember ever being. And I mean, I am repressed, so like that may be part of it. (laughs) But I just feel like kids, kids are way more, they share everything online all the time and, but they don't, I mean, obviously it's carefully curated, but. um, Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly one of the big challenges of writing about teenagers is that in certain ways they are way more public facing, you know, like I said, like I had a, blog when I was 12 or 13 but like I didn't have a webcam you know there's no way for me to do pictures yeah. plus videos or like I mean and also and there were no search engines like no one could find my blog no one read it <laughs> thank god um so well, like, yeah. was it on live journal or Zanga though because that's the important on, question this one was on blogspot oh okay um, okay yeah then I had a live journal then I had a tumblr I still have a tumblr tumblr <laughs> truly generation blog um <laughs> So yeah, so there's all these things that like that generation is more open about, but then also like I think there is this pressure to be curated and to be acceptable, um, you know, to to be held, I mean, and to be exciting, to be like consumable in a certain sense. Um, so that was really interesting to write. My book is about a girl who is um, sort of low key famous on social media, um, 
and she accidentally posts a video of herself cheating on her boyfriend with a girl. Um, so both outing herself as bisexual and also obviously destroying her relationship. Um, and it was really interesting to try and write that sort of tension between the ways in which she's someone who like is always filming herself and has also not been open about, about her sexuality. So like, you know, how do, how do those two things sort of fit together? Like, how is she thinking about exposure? How is she thinking about intimacy? Um, and I think one of the things that I was hoping to write in the book is her sort of moving from that thing of like needing everyone to love her to being like, okay, the people, if the people who know me and who I love, love me, like that's enough. Um, that's sort of like what I was saying about readers, you know, being like the more you encounter all that public blowback, the more you need a really strong core of sort of self-knowledge, which is so hard when you're a teenager. Yeah. Like actually impossible. Yeah. Still hard for me now, so. Yeah, totally. But how did you, I mean, how did you discover it for yourself? But also how did you write that? Pro I mean, I think it sounds, uh, I'll definitely check out this new book. I'm looking forward to it. No, but I really think it's really fascinating the way that people are like, this sort of dichotomy between the curated personality and like your real life and like you even get to keep a real life if you curate everything like what does it even mean to have a real life right but how do yeah, you figure I, that out yeah I mean I have no idea I will say actually um the thing about writing books for me is that um I always think that I know what I'm doing while I'm doing it and then I get to the end and I read it over and I'm like oh this is about a, this is about me. Who knew? <laughs> like, I did not mean to expose. And I definitely got to the end of writing Look and was like, man, this is in part about me having spent the last several years being a professional author um, and sort of cultivating like my professional author online persona, you know, and like this and trying to figure out like, where does, you know, what is the line between me and my persona and my art and my work? Like, it's so tangled. It's so gnarly and crazy. Um, especially I feel like in YA, I feel like in literary fiction, they're not quite as interested in your online persona, but for young adult, like they really kind of want you to be like, you know, have a cute Instagram and like cool. interacting yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just, it was like me trying to work out for myself what matters to me and what belongs online and like, what am I doing? <laughs> How did you, or, I guess I'm sure you're yeah. still figuring it out, but um, I know a lot of your freelance stuff revolves around um, like influencer type folks, like your profiles of the Vanderpump Rules people and like Kardashians and this kind of stuff. So how, um, and this is kind of, I guess, to bring things back to sort of one of this central themes of this, our podcast in general, which is on how your day job or your outside of writing your novels work informs your writing and the value that it has. Um, but maybe can you talk a little bit about that intersection? Yeah. Yeah, no, those two things are totally wrapped up in each other for me. Um, like I actually only started writing about influence, only started writing like journalism about influencers because my second book is about a girl who's um, in fandom for a boy band. And I love that book, by the way, that's Grace you. and the Fever. So um, yeah, hasn't read it yet. Thank you. I, I love that book. I'm very, very fond of that book. Um, it was In part because it was fun to write. Like the other ones have been really hard and that one was fun. <laughs> so I'm like, I love you, Grace. Um, but so I've written that book and spent a ton of time like on Tumblr and, and thinking in a different way about sort of the divide between our online selves and our meat space selves. Um, 
And because of that, like ended up spending all this time on social media, trying to understand how the teens use it um, and got obsessed with Kylie Jenner and, you know, sort of like walked down this rabbit hole that then ended up being a big part of writing look. Um, so I feel really lucky to have a day job that is just encourages me to explore basically. Um, Cause I'm a culture writer. I cover all kinds of things. So it's like, I write about food and celebrity and TV and books and, you know, restaurants in Los Angeles. And it just sort of keeps my brain whirring all the time um, and just taking in new things. And like, I think it is like we were talking about earlier, you know, sometimes you need to sit and watch an episode or like a season of Gilmore Girls. Maybe you'll um, write about mother daughter relationships, Miranda. So you never know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's totally research then. I mean, you could write about mother daughter relationships. <laughs> Miranda has a it's like a topic we can get to in another podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but for me, I feel like Miranda and I have very opposite experiences of this. Like where for me, it's sort of like, I think of it as like putting it in the compost almost. Like I'm just like bringing in stuff all day long, you know, about the world and how it's working. That um, I'm kind of like, yeah, and eventually I'll write something fiction or nonfiction about it. Whereas Miranda's day job so far has been very divorced. Um from your fiction and maybe gives you some space away from it, but I want you to talk about that because I don't know. Yeah, um, so I worked in publishing for like six years and it was very hard to write and also be using the same part of my brain like all day, every day um, to help other, to like work on other people's writing. Um, and so once I decided that I was going to, um, you know, once I got out of the MFA, I was sure that I wanted a job that was not that. Um, so I work at a small nonprofit and my role is like sort of ill-defined, but is similar to the work that like a case manager or social worker would do. Um, I don't have any degrees. Um, I actually like started at this nonprofit because they needed uh, like an office temp. Um, and I've been there for like a year and a half now. But I feel like in publishing, when I was in publishing, when I was in the MFA, it was really easy to only interact with like a certain kind of person, the kind of person who might be interested in like reading my writing or reading my book. and it. And it's not that I can't imagine that my clients would be interested in reading my work. I'm like, some of them might be. It's that it's, it's, I'm being brought into to contact with like just people in the world who wouldn't, who I wouldn't otherwise be in, to, in contact with, who are like not in MFA programs. Um, they're not working in publishing. They're not, um, you know, they're not, booksellers like most of them don't have like undergraduate degrees um and it's just it's really good to be reminded especially when you're really wrapped up in something as important to you but like globally small as like publishing a book to be reminded that publishing is really small um and that is important as it is to a lot of people and to me um there's just like a lot of other stuff out there. 
Um, yeah. A lot of other experiences out there. Um, yeah. It contextualizes that I think sometimes, you know, where you're just kind of like, it puts it in its proper place. It's not like, oh, it doesn't matter, but it's just sort of like, I think, I mean, for me, okay. Um, trying to think of how to correctly express this. The thing that drives me super bonkers is when people are like, I have to write. If I could not write, I would perish. <laughs> Biologically, you wouldn't die. That's not how like, life works. Because I think, because what drives me crazy is people cast it as a necessity as opposed to a pleasure, which is what I think it should be, you know? And I just feel like people get so, like, afraid of claiming that pleasure for themselves. And that, and like Miranda was talking about earlier, like that sort of selfishness of being like, yeah, I'm not going to do something quote unquote productive. I'm not going to do something that's obviously of use to anyone else. Um, and so I'm always like, I'm so grateful that I can take the time to do it. And there are those moments when like something else exerts pressure on it, like my day job or like other people's lives. And I'm like, oh, right. No one cares about this. How mm, fucking cool yeah. is it that I get to do it anyway? <laughs> that was my little high horse monologue. <laughs> no, that's good. Especially right now no, with all the pressure to be like, oh, you have all this time, which first of all, like bullshit, um, <laughs> we do not. But second, like we're not robots. Like just because suddenly there's an open space does not mean you have to fill it with something quote productive. Like we are not machines to crank things out. Like no. maybe we just lie on the couch and watch an entire season of Gilmore Girls or whatever. <laughs> so, I watching? keep bringing that up, but like I've seen the whole... I used to read Gilmore Girls fanfic when of like season eight, there's a whole like eighth season, like screenplay thing. I mean, I read that whole thing. I, I need to ask which of Rory's boyfriends you are most on board with. Jess. Okay. Thank you. Obviously. Yes. Understand there's like no question. Yeah. You don't end up doing a lit podcast if you're not like, it's Jess. It's obviously Jess. Yeah. It's obviously <laughs> I mean, okay, season six, Jess, and not season three, Jess, but like still Jess. Yeah. Even season three, Jess is better than the other two at any point ever. They do. And they like, they write Jess so badly. It's so clear what they want him to be doing. But the only way that they have to communicate like the various like sort of outsidery character traits that he's supposed to have is just by making him into a jerk. And it's yeah. like, that's clearly not his fault. He's like being <laughs> written badly. Anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, that's what really gets her. Um, <laughs> the people who like, what the hell is her college boyfriend's name? Logan. Oh my God. People who He's are the worst. Logan are the worst. The worst. The worst. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> I think Miranda would have hung up if he'd said Logan. Like she'd be like, yeah. Oh, well, sorry, I would not I have blamed her. My consent to be on this podcast <laughs> i would not have blamed her um and i don't know if you watched the netflix like oh, whatever God. 10 years yeah. later fuck logan is oh, all i have to say wait didn't we watch it together or did we no we watched at some point Miranda came to visit me in la and we watched a ton of gilmore girls but i think it was maybe it was like just after the like netflix thing had come out i don't know and we just like my roommates would come home and we were just like sitting there watching gilmore yeah girls. like are you guys having fun we're like yes this is, yeah, this is yeah. what we want to be doing. Um, yeah. Um, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life. Logan is the fucking father Worse. of Rory's like child that she confesses she is having on the last episode. And I want to die. <laughs> the worst. The yeah. absolute worst. And he's like married to someone else. I've seen this or, show, guys. Uh, Olivia, I've, I've tried. I'm sorry. But now, no, look, it's not like a moral position. I just, 
because I haven't seen it. But now I mean, this could be my quarantine show. Like I'm really looking. I'm be. like not in the middle of a show and it's really hard. Well, and then you can text me. So Olivia watched all of Jane the Virgin and I'm still in the, like the last season. And so she gets these random texts. Um, so we're four hours apart right now, but sometimes <laughs> it's seven. And so she'll like wake up to these random texts for me. That's like, what? What the fuck? Like he can't still be alive or whatever, you know, like. And then I have to like Google the you know, <laughs> summary. I'm like, what? Like, tell me the episode. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I am yeah. also in the last season of Jane the Virgin. Um, I actually stopped. Yeah, I, I think I probably, it's been long enough since I saw a last season episode that I probably need to start at the beginning of the... The recaps are super helpful. Yeah, yeah. Was, those are super helpful. Um, <laughs> that show is wild. Then, it is. Um, yes. <laughs> I watched part of the first season. I didn't fall in love with it. But I mean, listen, like, again, nothing but time over here. So check back. Yeah. I feel yeah. much more in love later. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh God. It's like you have to get into the rhythm of it. Yeah. It's bonkers. It's really bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Don't enjoy it. I don't know. It's also like, I mean, you know, in my normal life, uh, many things compete for my attention. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. right. You know, it just wasn't like it didn't win that competition. But um Yeah. Yeah. No, same. I mean, I really I watched it a lot like a couple years ago, I was flying all the time. So I went through like Jane the Virgin and The Sopranos, like really high quality television. And then like, I have tried a lot of other shows since I finished The Sopranos and it's like nothing sticks. Hmm. It's actually really tough. So yeah, could be Gilmore Girls. I'll keep you posted. There's a ton of it and it's very cozy. So it could be, it's very not like The Sopranos. So it depends on what you're looking for, but. Yeah, yeah, I like lots of different television. No, I mean, most recently, the only thing that's gotten closest is Golden Girls. So, uh, like, if you have the flu, if any of us get coronavirus, I heartily recommend Golden Girls as your go-to. Okay. I've never seen it. Um, It's very stupid. Like, really (laughs) dumb. (laughs) No, I had a really bad flu about a month ago or two, like, a month and a half ago. And it was, like, the only thing that kept me alive, I think. I just, like, laid there watching those. Like, it's 20-minute episodes. You don't have to think very hard. It's, like, very basic. It's great. Mm-hmm. Just washes over you. Yeah. It's, it's like, like the old lady crackers. It's, like, old ladies cast instead of, like, Sex in the City was basically Golden Girls, but yeah. with young people. <laughs> so. Aren't they all, like, surprisingly not that old? on that show yeah actually they're like 50 years old like at one point they disclose their ages like 55 they're super old in the show but it's like you can see it's in the 80s right like you can see that it's pretty racy like they talk a lot about sex uh and it's like cool actually in a way and like some things are a little bit questionable but like they have gay people on the show like that's not bad for early 80s like you know yeah and there's not like no man i mean obviously like some people are sleeping with men, but they're not central. So, like, the women are really central. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are no, rec- I mean, like, long-term recurring male characters. They might yeah. have, like, a three-episode arc, but that's it. No yeah, long-term so. recurring male characters is also a good description of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so ends our, <laughs> like, top culture <laughs> summary. <laughs> no I'm like yeah I'm conscious of time but I really like this is great I we can have a whole separate thing about television like we can do this anytime yeah oh yeah I'm always looking for I mean especially now because so I um 
two years ago now, became a really big baseball fan, um, mm. to the shock of everyone who has known me for a long time. Um, and so normally this is when like baseball ramps up and it's like hours and hours every day and whatever. And like, now there's no base. I'm stuck inside. I can't go anywhere and there's no baseball. <sighs> so I'm very sad right now. I, I was going to say Golden Girls could like really help, but I don't think you need like days of Golden Girls, just like hours probably. So I don't know. You need something else. Yeah, you know, kind of is really good. <laughs> I think it's going to fall into. I've been reading actually um, a YA like uh, boarding school mystery novel that's been very engrossing and very sort of hitting that pleasure center. Um, I also hit up a friend for some fan fiction recommendations. So, oh, good. Go- Gilmore Girls season eight. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like fan- I'm telling you, it's good. <laughs> we usually wrap up by asking, like, what are you? Like just really uh, yeah. you, like what's kind of obsessing you right now. So, um, oh man, it's a good end to this conversation. Like a topic or anything. It doesn't have to be yes. anything with your writing. It can just be like, what if I died would show up in my Google search. That would be like, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, I, okay, actually this, this is not a bad answer. Um, the thing that I'm most obsessed with right now is, is baseball. Um, which yeah I, I was a big Dodgers fan when I was like a little kid and then it just faded out of my life um oh, I'm a Giants fan I'm sorry so, yeah I'm so well so I'm sorry for you serious <laughs> 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 uh, it's, it's a rough time although I don't it's like the Dodgers went out and got Mookie Betts and now it's like there's no season so whatever. Well, as long as you don't like the Braves like we can still be cool oh, no, absolutely okay. not good <laughs> So I was a Dodgers fan when I was a kid, and then um, a couple years ago they were in the World Series, and I sort of picked it back up again. Um, and it's one, it's funny, it's one of those things that is so, seems so random to everyone who knows me, but actually I think baseball is a lot like novel writing. Um, like I was listening to a baseball podcast the other day, and a player was talking about how he had like very difficult time. He's now really successful, but like had been like DFA'd and like basically thought he wasn't going to play anymore. And he's like, the thing about baseball is you just fail all the time. Like if you have a 30% average as a hitter, everyone's like, wow, you're really good at that. 70% of the time, you're just sucking. And I just like, I don't know. It's um, the like patience and the fortitude uh, required to like play this game that is such a huge grind um, and so exhausting. I don't know. I'm, I just like love, um, and I love learning all about this world that I know nothing about. I love listening to athletic trainers talk about like the physics of pitching and being reminded that like everyone in the world is like a dork about what they do <laughs> so yeah baseball is my thing I miss it and I want it back oh that's a nice nice answer um so I think my honest answer is that and it's I've been sort of obsessed with this podcast for a while it's called um blank check um mm. it's a movie podcast and I well I was training for a marathon it hasn't been canceled yet but it's on may 3rd the providence marathon i'm waiting for them to cancel it because there's no way they're going to gather a bunch of sweaty people to run a marathon in fewer than eight weeks like that's not happening um and i really wish they would just cancel it so i can like really divorce myself from the idea that i'm gonna have to run to run it and can like stop pretending that i'm maybe even a little bit training but when i run i listen to podcasts and I just really, the thing that is most appealing to me is like in, in conversation or listening to someone else talk or listening to two people who I don't know talk on a podcast is enthusiasm. And this podcast is just like, just two nerds yelling at each other. And it's, 
so satisfying. And it's like great to listen to episodes when you haven't even seen the movie. Um, and then to try and like reconstruct what the heck the movie is about um, based on their conversation. <laughs> uh, it started out with a Star Wars podcast and I got really desperate for like new running stuff when I ran out of new episodes a while ago. And I went back and I listened to like 27 hours of them talking about the Star Wars prequels, which I've never seen. Um, <laughs> Anyway, it's just like, it's just like having friends in your head and they're, they're like really, they're just really excited to talk to each other and you, but you're not, you don't get to participate, which, whatever. Um, um, and it sounds so lonely, like, well, you get to pretend to have friends. Um, but like now I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have friends in my head. And <laughs> Yeah, you've had a lot of practice, so that's yeah. good. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I like that, mm -hmm. actually. I really love when you, like, really gel with anything, really, and then you just, like, dive in big, you know, just, like, in huge whatever gulfs. Like, sometimes, like, certain thinkers or something, I'll just, like, find every podcast that they've ever been on and listen to only them for, like, a week. I really love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, deep dives, like, a true just, like, all right, I'm going to, like, consume this with abandon uh yeah so joyful yeah very definitely. pleasurable yeah well i'm wishing you guys both or you gals both <laughs> both uh lots of that coming up and yeah. uh thank you very much and lots of luck for your book launch thank you yeah. so much thank you guys for having us this is so fun this is Miranda and I have been talking about FaceTiming, but not doing it so this is the first time i've seen her little face in a while oh <laughs> we're awesome. happy to facilitate that and uh, <laughs> yeah. thank you again so much like yeah, like olivia was saying you've been top of our list and it's like do we have the car are we gonna uh so it's good big fan yeah. we're around yeah <laughs> awesome. seriously this was so much fun also like the idea that zan and i as individuals but i think maybe especially as a little friendship team might be like on anyone else's radar period <laughs> is the most flattering <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> like, yeah, you awesome. should not have been shy about hitting us up because we are very thirsty for like, <laughs> for like appreciation of our friendship content. <laughs> it's seriously like And your literary thing. content. Yes. Yeah. But I do think it's true. I think that one of the things, that's one of the things we're most proud of having created in our lives is our friendship. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the true of every good friendship. I'm like, what did I accomplish last year? Like, Megan and I had a solid relationship year. So yeah, good. seriously. Like, that is, yeah. that's it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. And that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Scotty Casca. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com.
If you enjoyed this episode of Marginally, you might also enjoy one of our favorite podcasts, Hashtag Writing with Jess and KJ. Every episode is full of great information and encouragement. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts or find the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening.